Last year, you may remember, cast your minds back to a series called Being the People of God in a Post-Christian Society. Uh, we looked at the letter from the Apostle Peter in the New Testament, and we looked in the first chapter. I think there were maybe six sermons on the first chapter, and we went through that together. And it was really very good. Uh, and this year now, we've been picking up the second chapter of the same book, last week, the week before, this week, and next week, we're looking at that. And if you remember last year, if you cast your minds back, we tried to draw out of this letter um, some similarities, if you like, between our position and the position of the church which Peter was writing to. And the church that Peter's writing to is the early church, this very, very young church, right at the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. And they were living in what you might call a rather hostile environment. So the society was not really for them or with them, but rather quite oppressive uh, and rejecting them. And even the government, uh, very hostile to the believers. And, and although we're not in that position yet of being persecuted directly by rulers um, uh, and being imprisoned uh, or having property seized and that kind of thing, I think we can see some parallels with you know, with the Christian church today, the society around us doesn't exactly embrace the things that we do. Often we feel up against it. Often we feel our, our, our opinions and our beliefs are rejected. Uh, maybe more of you feel that in the workplace or maybe in your families with unbelieving family members. So there are similarities that we're going to find. We found many, and we're just going to keep going through that. And the purpose of Peter's letter, of course, is to really encourage and build up and reassure the church. And so that's what we're hoping to do through looking at it. So in the last couple of weeks, we've read the whole passage before we've zoomed in on the bit for the day. So we're going to do the same thing again today. We're going to read the whole of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, if you're uh, making notes or if you've got a Bible. But they are on the screen. Hopefully that's uh, big enough for you to see. So Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So that's the chunk of the letter that we're looking at in these four weeks. And today we're going to zoom in on verses six to eight. Before we do, um, you will have noticed, hopefully, that we sung the song Cornerstone today. And uh, the, the bit of this passage that we're looking at is about that very thing, the cornerstone. And so if, like me, you're not uh, a bricklayer or a builder, that you're not that familiar with building terminology, I thought it'd be helpful for us to just look at a quick definition of that cornerstone. 
Uh, we've heard even as people came and brought contributions this morning, Dan, I think, mentioned the cornerstone. Uh, he mentioned the plant, the pruning, the gardener. We've, had a, uh, we've been on trains with royal robes. Lots of metaphors that we have about us, don't we? So the cornerstone is a metaphor. And here's a definition about what a real cornerstone is. Uh, it's a stone. And it says here, the cornerstone is the first stone set in the construction of a foundation. Important since all other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. That's what a cornerstone is. It's a blooming great, big, heavy piece of masonry that is laid in a foundation, which then sets the tone, uh, sets the security, uh, the safety, sets the lines of a building, of an entire building. So let's look at the passage we've got today. For it stands in scripture, says Peter, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So that's our passage. Um, what I want to do is just quickly go through it, look through it, pick out a few things to explain, if you like, and then we're going to zoom in on two major applications for us. Does that sound okay? Yeah. Sure? Yeah. Okay. Come on. All right, then. For it stands in Scripture. So the first thing I love about this is Peter's been exhorting uh, the believers already, and Vic last week spoke about coming to the living stone, that stone analogy is weaving through this. As you come to him, the living stone, you yourselves are being built up. And then he says, for or because it stands in scripture. And what Peter does then to make his point or to re, uh, reassure the believers and to um, back up what he's saying is he goes to scripture. He goes to the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, which were his Bible, for it stands in scripture, he says. And that, even that word, it stands, it reminds you again of the building, the cornerstone. It stands. It won't be moved. It stands in scripture. That's where we go to get the truth. That's where we go to back up the things that God is saying. It stands in scripture. And it reminds me a bit, if you can remember in the Gospels, when Jesus is first revealed, as it were, as the Son of God, and he's tempted in the wilderness. Remember the story? He's tempted in the wilderness. The devil keeps coming at him. And trying to trip him up. And what does he say? How does he respond? It is written. It is written. Three times he says it. He goes to the scripture. Just a great start, isn't it? Just a great encouragement reminder for us. And then he quotes uh, the prophet Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet. God speaking through the prophet. Look or behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And we know as we'll find out a bit later, that this cornerstone refers to Jesus, refers to Jesus Christ. Part of the no reason we know that is Jesus actually uses this scripture about himself in the Gospels. It says, God himself is laying a stone. He's putting a stone, foundational stone, precious, chosen by God. And the reassurance for those believers is whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The ultimate destiny is not Bedford, thankfully, <laughs> but it is, it is life eternal with our Father, 
And we will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And the believers, as we remember in this context, and maybe some of us sometimes, we're feeling sometimes under, under pressure from society, under pressure from people. These believers, believers were certainly facing more pressure, I su suggest, than we are, certainly in society. But Peter's reminding them, but, but those who believe in Jesus won't be put to shame. Your ultimate destiny is not a shameful one. It's a glorious one. And it builds us up. It builds us up, doesn't it, as we think, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. And believe there, you know, it doesn't just mean, oh, well, I can read the history and I think that probably happened. It believes, it means to believe in, to put one's confidence in, to trust in Jesus. And for those of us that have done that, the promise is you will not be put to shame. Whatever happens here and now, whatever happens in life, whatever happens in this world, your destiny as we've already heard, it's taken care of if you put your trust in Jesus. And then Peter makes a contrast, doesn't he? Instead of shame, what do you get? Honor. The honor is for you who believe. It's wonderful, isn't it? He says you won't be put to shame. He doesn't leave it there. He says there's honor for you who believe. God has honored us because of Jesus, which is just remarkable. But then what Peter does is he draws a contrast between those who believe and those who don't believe. And again, I think the train analogy has really helped us this morning. I think that's great. Obviously, God has spoken to Dave. Dave knew what I was preaching on, the passage. But there's a great picture, another image of what we're looking at. So for those who don't believe, they're on the wrong train. And then Peter quotes another Old Testament passage, this time from the Psalms. and says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So, of course, hundreds of years before, people are writing these things under the inspiration of God that would be fulfilled in Jesus. The stone that the builders rejected, that many have rejected, those who do not believe, has become the cornerstone, the very foundational stone of God's purposes and plans for salvation. And another quote, he's mixing up his quotes here, another one this time back in Isaiah, but another part of Isaiah. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So what Peter's drawing out a contrast, for you who believe, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's everything. He's the very foundation. But for those who don't, that same stone is like a, it's like a trip hazard. He's like the reason that people are not coming to faith. Which I don't know about you, but that sort of catches you unawares a bit. So, so Jesus is the very way, the Bible teaches us, that we can come to God our Father. He's the only way. Jesus himself said it, didn't he? I am the way. There's no other way to the Father. And yet what Peter's saying here is that actually Jesus, the very way, is for some people the stumbling block. There's a real contrast, isn't there? And then this sentence, which I know some of you will have spotted and be interested to hear what I'm going to say. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so what he's saying is the people around you who've rejected you just as they've rejected Christ and the gospel, they've disobeyed the word. So rather than accepting the word of the gospel, rather than putting their confidence in Christ and having that assurance of honor, not shame, they've disobeyed the word. They've rejected the word of truth. They've fallen over it, if you like. They don't want to hear it. And so it's become a stumbling block. It's become an offense to them. Elsewhere, the Bible talks about the gospel being offensive, doesn't it? Even the, even the smell of death. 
as they were destined to do. And I think Peter here is reassuring these believers as, as he would us. God is not caught napping. God is not unaware. God is not um, out, out of control. So just as this letter started, if you can cast your minds back a long way, some of you remember Vic talking about Peter addressing the believers as elect or chosen. You are chosen by God. Take heart in that. I don't know about you, but I really take heart in that. Elect, chosen by God, sovereign God, before the world was made, knew what he was going to do. And in the same way, Peter's saying, but don't be alarmed or surprised that these people will reject you. God knows. God is still sovereign. God is still on the throne. There will be people who will reject me, who will reject you, who will reject the word of truth and disobey and therefore stumble. God is still on the throne. So many letters in the New Testament, I was thinking about this this morning, so many letters are written to just keep encouraging believers. God is on the throne. God is sovereign. He is not forgotten. He is not unaware. And I just went to Acts 4 yesterday to look at this, and this is quite helpful, I think. So this is um, Peter again, so same guy, but some decades earlier, uh, just after Jesus has risen and then ascended to the Father, and Peter's preaching, or he's talking to Jewish uh, religious leaders in Jerusalem, and he's talking about what's happened to Jesus. He says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, those in power, those with religious authority, which has become the cornerstone. So he's quoted exactly the same Old Testament scripture. It's the same guy. He's got it in his mind. And there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then a bit later on in the same passage, we read this. Peter's praying at this point, actually, and he says to God, For truly in this city, in Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God knows what he is doing. Now, we read that, and, and there's all sorts of questions in the room. I know there are. So you're saying God ordained people to sin and disobey the word in order to crucify Christ? It's what it says, isn't it? But we also know that the Bible also says, whoever calls on the Lord, name of the Lord will be saved. God never turns away a sinner who comes to him in repentance and faith, does he? We know that. He never turns anyone away, but he is on the throne. History, presidents of the United States come and go, and God is sovereign. God is on the throne. He is not caught unaware. Okay, and so when there are people around these Christians who are giving them flack and worse than that, you know, they're under... Uh, the Emperor Nero at the point that Peter's writing to them. He's the Roman Emperor. You know, he blames the Christians for the great fire of Rome and there's huge persecution, probably just maybe a little bit later than this letter, but it's all hotting up, in a, not in a good way for these Christians. They are seriously under threat and many of them, I suspect, are fearful. And he's reminding them, God is on the throne. He knows it all. He set everything in place. Take heart. Okay, so if you, if you want to talk about that particular thing, like predestination and the whole ordaining of things by God before the foundation of the world is a series in itself. 
Um, I'd love to talk to you about it or talk, come and talk to someone else if you've got more questions about that. But I don't want to get stuck there because I think God has got a couple of things to really uh, say to us today. So, and I've heard somebody, um, somebody else preach actually on this topic and he used this expression, Jesus is the all or nothing stone. So if you notice in the passage, he's either the cornerstone, which is the foundation, or he's rejected by people. He's the stone that's rejected, he's been made the cornerstone. There's no middle ground. You know, he's either the foundation or, or he's a stumbling block. Uh, the all or nothing stone is what I'm going to call him. So two ways that I think we're just going to look at that quickly. Jesus is the all or nothing stone of our salvation. And Jesus is the all or nothing stone of our life, our ongoing life after salvation. So firstly, Jesus is the all or nothing stone of our salvation. A couple of scriptures for you here. Um, Romans 3, so this is the Apostle Paul, not Peter, but Paul writing to Christians in Rome. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by what? By faith. And then... Jesus himself, these are the words of Jesus in Mark 1. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And all I want to say here is again, it's the go- this is the gospel, which means good news. This is the good news of Jesus. He is the all or nothing stone of our salvation. And it's so good for us to remember. When you come to God as a sinner by faith, You repent and believe in him, which is what Jesus says you need to do. That's all you need to do. It's just good to remember, isn't it, that we bring nothing to the table in this transaction. We bring nothing to the table. It's so important that we remember this, that Jesus is the all or nothing. He's done it all. He's done it all. He's the only one who has anything to bring to this transaction. We come with nothing. And I know that's hard for us as human beings sometimes because we want to do our bit. And sometimes you meet people who you think want to become Christians. You think they've seen, they've seen the truth. They know, they want to know Jesus. And yet they're thinking, my life's a bit of a mess. I need to sort this out. I probably need to do this. Uh, That needs to be a lot better before I can face up to God. And And it's just, it's not true. It's not true because it doesn't matter how many steps you think you make towards Jesus. It's not enough. He's done it all. We've already sung about, we've already heard about this morning, his death, his resurrection, his blood essentially poured out so that we can be forgiven. I've already mentioned Jesus says, I'm the only way to the Father. And that, I think, is a stumbling block to many. I think people don't like that. People don't like the fact we are all sinners. This is the gospel, folks. We are all sinners. We all fall short. And the only way is to come to Jesus and say, I, ca- I, can't, I can do nothing. I turn, I repent, I turn to you and put my faith in you. And then I know I will not be put to shame. He's the all or nothing stone. You can't have it somewhere in the middle. And maybe there's people here who know that he's not the cornerstone for you. You've not accepted, you've not put your confidence, your whole confidence, your life in his hands. And uh, this reminded me, when I was thinking about this, of a blog post I I read a couple of weeks ago on the Gospel Coalition website. Some of you will be familiar with that. If you're not, I recommend it to you. Great writing, great writers. And I read a blog post the other day by someone called Rachel Watson. 
people I follow, and uh, she wrote a blog post called Sharing Heaven with Serial Killers, which gets your attention, doesn't it? I thought, I'll read that one. I'll make time to read that one. She quotes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I've already mentioned that verse earlier. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And she wrote this blog post. It's fairly provocative, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but I know people who find this so offensive. It's a stumbling block to many. She, this is the sort of the, the tagline of the article. Because of this, I might one day be singing Holy, Holy, Holy beside Jeffrey Dahmer. And what this is about is the picture of the heavenly realm in the presence of God. Everyone singing Holy, Holy, Holy. They're worshipping God. And what she's saying is when I, when I get to that place, not Bedford, but that eternal destiny, that I'm on the train, I won't be put to shame, I know I'm going to live for eternity with my God. She's picked out one of the most horrendous serial killers that she knows about, who ostensibly came to faith in prison, and said, maybe he's going to be there with me. If he did come to faith, he is going to be there with me. That's an offense to many, guys. And I just think Peter is saying, don't be surprised. This gospel is a stumbling block to many, but it is such good news. For you who believe, you won't be put to shame. Rather, there's honor. And it's the gospel. We mustn't dress it up. We mustn't change it. We mustn't be tempted. It doesn't seem so extreme. He's the all or nothing stone of salvation. I heard an interviewer talking to Jeffrey Dahmer. Some of you will remember him. Some of you won't. He's an American guy who killed 15 people. Horrendous, horrendous, horrible crimes. And I heard an interviewer interview him and say, um, he talked about coming to faith. And she said, do you think you're forgiven? And he said, the blood of Jesus is enough for even my sins. So offensive, isn't it? But it's the truth. All have sinned and fallen short. Let's not dress it up. Let's rejoice in it. Have it in our hearts, have it in our mouths all the time. It's good news. The gospel is good news. Jesus is the all or nothing stone of our life. And it's true, we bring nothing to the table. We are saved through grace by faith, by putting our confidence in Jesus and what he's done. We bring nothing. But boy, once we put our confidence in him, everything must change. Because then he becomes the cornerstone of, of our lives, of what we do. And Dan talked about this morning a little bit about, you know, God building us. And sometimes it's painful. And that was the whole pruning metaphor, you know, which is also a biblical metaphor for what he does in us. But I just want to challenge us this morning. It's a very simple challenge. What are we building on? What are you building on? You know, we often take these scriptures and, these, and we apply them individually a lot in our culture. That's sort of what we're, you know, primed to do, to think individually a lot of the time. And we need to think corporately as well. You know, when Jesus says, I build my church, it's a global uh, you know, thing through the whole of history. And yes, it is about your lives. It is about individual lives as well. And so I just want to challenge us this morning. A couple of scriptures for you again. It's good, isn't it? Keep going to the scripture, for it stands in scripture. It's where we get our truth from. I count everything as lost. This is the Apostle Paul again in another letter to the church at Philippi. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing or the greater, much greater worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish is a very polite translation. 
of something uh, that you don't want on the bottom of your shoe. That's what the word means. He says everything else is just like dirt compared to knowing Christ. And then another metaphor, this time it's another building metaphor, but I was reminded again of it when Dave was talking about the trains. This is the words of Jesus after the Sermon on the Mount. He makes this little image of people building their houses. Where are you going to build your house? On the rock or on the sand? Sounds like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Let's go for the rock every time. But this is what he says. Everyone who hears, hears these words of mine, hears what I say, essentially hears the words of the gospel of truth and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. So very simply, uh, the question is for me and it's for you today as well. If you have come to the cornerstone and not rejected him, if you've put your confidence in him, it's just good, isn't it, to stop and reflect. What am I building? Where am I building? What am I building on? I wanted to do a, you know, um, visual things always help, don't they, help you remember things. But if I could find a cornerstone, I certainly couldn't have carried it. So apologies for that. I wanted to sort of put a cornerstone over here and then build a little Jenga thing over here and... You know, it, it's, no good, it's no good having the cornerstone if we're building stuff that's just not uh, built on him. And people, people build their lives or their, put their confidence in all sorts of things. And I'm guilty of this, and I'm sure you're guilty of it as well at times. But it's good, isn't it, to stop and say, okay, I profess to put my confidence in Christ. So what am I building on? And it's good to ground these things as well. What does that mean? I'm not building anything. I've never even built a garden wall. I don't know, you know, I, but I'm everything I do, every day, I make decisions, I make choices, I use words to speak to other people. I decide how I will discipline or not my children. I, I make choices all the time about how I'll feel about people, attitudes to people. You know, this morning I got a bit grumpy about something that I needed to do, and then I just thought, just... No, that's just not right. You've just got to let it go. That is not right. Repent and just keep building in the right direction. If you remember the quote about the cornerstone, the first stone set in the construction of a foundation, important since all other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. It's like Dan said, you know, God, if you don't kick the Jenga block down, he will. God is going to prune us as we're following him, we're building on him, we're professing. He's the, the root of our confidence. He's where our confidence lies. He will, he will prune, he will push things away that get in the way. But I suggest today it would be great for us to participate in that process and stop and go, oh God, I've, I've actually, yeah, I can see. I'm not building on you in that way or I'm building over here. I just want to stop that and lay it before you. We'll have a chance to do that. Because as Jesus says in the parable of the two builders, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And if you remember either the parable or the song uh, from either going to Sunday school or helping with it here or something, the storm comes, doesn't it? And the house falls flat. And stuff that we build, we don't, I don't know about you, I don't want to build stuff. I don't want to waste time building stuff on something else that's going to not be glorifying to God, that's not going to be wholesome for me and the people around me. And this is true about in every aspect of our lives, isn't it? 
if you've got a job, it's about how you do that job. It's certainly about how you talk to people, your attitudes to people, how you talk to people about the gospel, about Jesus, how you treat your, maybe you've got unbelieving family, like I have, and how you deal with them. Just to say as well, you know, like Peter says to these guys, they will, they will stumble over the rock, some of them. Some of them will reject you as they've rejected him. Let's be faithful in the way that we're dealing with people. Submit our thoughts, our time, our money. Our money decision is a big one, isn't it? If you've got a lot of money, maybe that's harder as well to make those decisions. To, to build on Christ, the cornerstone. What you watch on TV. What you do in your sex life. I have a friend who's a, a, a good preacher. And he once preached a sermon. It's on the internet. Uh, and got a bit of stick for it. It's called, Why Does God Care What I Do With My Genitals? <laughs> Again, it's like one of those titles that you know people are going to watch it. Because <laughs> it's a bit provocative, but it absolutely, is, that's it. Life, every aspect of life, sex life, money, work, family. Are we as believers building on the cornerstones? Challenging, isn't it? Good to be challenged. Uh, I was just challenged. Again, as we sang a song this morning, Majesty, I sang these words, I live to serve you. I live to serve your majesty. It's challenging, isn't it? We all sang it, didn't we? All within me falls at your throne. Wow, I sang that as well. All within me falls at your throne. And it's wonderful because we remember again that our salvation is in Christ alone, the cornerstone. Thankfully, it's not dependent on you, and it's not dependent on me. It's dependent on the Father laying a stone, a foundation stone, which was Christ, so that all who come to him will not be ashamed, but rather receive honor. So we're going to um, respond in a moment in prayer, um, and we're going to, I hope we're going to, I think we'll sing Cornerstone again as we've got a few minutes. Should we do that? And I want to say, I want, again, to submit to God and say, yes, I choose to build on the cornerstone of Christ, the all or nothing stone. I've accepted him. I'm so grateful that everything is done through Jesus. I just have to come. I have come. I became a Christian 30 odd years ago. That's when I first came and put my confidence in that stone, that all or nothing stone of Jesus. But still, I, I've got to be reminded all the time, yes, he's, he's all. He's all. And everything I do, I want to be built around him. But also, of course, Peter says, don't be surprised that around you, the world is in turmoil. That people will reject you. That people, some people will stumble over the gospel. Some people will fall over. They don't want to yield to Christ. And some of them won't. But also, a little bit further on in this letter, Peter encourages the believers to behave in such a way so that some of those people will see you and put their faith, as he puts it, will glorify God in the day of visitation. So let's expect unbelievers to see, to hear the gospel and to respond, but not to be surprised, Peter says, when there's rejection, when the world around us doesn't want to hear what we've got to say. God is on the throne. Shall we stand? <laughs>